Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital as once again we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on the programme today by Claire Letton. Claire is the director and owner of Wigwam Toys, an independent toy and gift shop based in Brighton and Hove East Sussex. Claire, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the programme. Thank you, my pleasure. Real pleasure for us as well having you on, Claire. Now, um, the purpose of this discussion is to firstly establish your take on leadership. So just looking at that word leader initially, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you and how you define what a leader should be. So I think personally that a a good leader is somebody who has the ability to uh, motivate their staff, who has the ability to look at their team and to recognise the strengths and weaknesses in the people that they employ and to help them to grow and develop as individuals, but also knows where to fit them within their organisation so as to use the resources they have at hand uh, most effectively. I also think it should be somebody who um, is, is loyal to their staff, is there as a listening ear. Um, you know, is, is, is approachable. I certainly wouldn't get my staff to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. And we're a fairly small team here at Wigram Toys, so it really does feel like a family situation. So you know, I could be um, I can be responsive to what my staff need and. You know, I've got their back and they've got mine as well. I mean, I'm not sure that all of these things, I, I you know, I, I'm not saying that I'm uh, achieving all of these things 100%, but I would hope that, um, you know, my leadership style is is friendly rather than, um, you know, sort of overbearing. I think that a leader is also somebody who has the ability to spot an opportunity um, and can move forward with the right mindset into, you know, taking over the opportunity and, um um, inspiring their team to follow them. I think a good leader is somebody who also can have an open mind, who can be flexible, who can be adaptable. You know, I'm not saying that I have all the answers. Um, I do have a strong vision for my business, which I think is important when you're in a leadership role because you need to be able to communicate that to the team around you mm. in order for you all to be working, you know, with the same vision. Uh, I think that's really important. But I'm not saying that I know everything and I'm really open to hearing the ideas of my team and myself because they have an input. They work in the business with me. And sometimes I think, you know, I miss things because my, I, I'm, my head's in one place um, and, and Perhaps they can see things that I, I've missed, you know, so I think it's important to be open minded as well and flexible. And of course, you talk about the need for leaders to inspire. Of course, it's natural for employees to look up to those above them, be they managers or executives in business for a little bit of direction, a little bit of inspiration, reassurance as well, especially at times such as this with COVID-19. But when you're the one at the top of the tree and there is nobody above you, such as yourself, for example, where do you look to for that inspiration and that sort of almost reassurance that you're going on the right track? Um, well, I, you know, I, I obviously I've got uh, friends that I talk to, some of whom run their own businesses, um, some of whom are involved in, you know, sort of HR. I also talk to my my husband. Um, he's a good sounding board, and we run the company together. But I also am quite inspired by people like uh, Mary Portas. I think that she's got some really great, sensible ideas. There's an enormous number of resources out there in the world, and I think one of the things that's happened as a result of the COVID nineteen situation is that lots of very knowledgeable people have 
been able to share their experience and their um, knowledge with a really broad base of people through webinars and all that kind of stuff. And I've definitely been taking advantage of the opportunities through Small Business Britain um, and, you know, some of the really inspiring leaders um, out there and um, being able to, you know, hear these people speak on Zoom to ask questions to interact I think that's been really important because I think sometimes running your own business you can feel quite isolated and obviously there is inevitably that moment when you think well am I doing the right thing is this the right way Mm. to use my money is this the right way to deploy my resources how do I and you know at the moment obviously I've been questioning how do I make my environment safe for my staff? How do I make it safe for my customers? So there's been, you know, a few sleepless nights sort of waking up at three in the morning thinking, gosh, I need to do this, I need to do that. Um, but it's been really invaluable, actually, having had all these, these um, uh, very useful podcasts and uh, useful webinars and things around and um, just, just drawing on other people's experience as well. And is there anything that the experience of managing a crisis and adapting to a new world has actually taught you as a business leader? I think so. I mean, I think one of the things it's given in a strange way, it's given me confidence in my abilities. And I think that a lot of small businesses are run by entrepreneurs. And I think that entrepreneurial mindset, you know, is one of spotting an opportunity and um, knowing, you know, it's, it's the how can I make this happen mindset, you know, so you, you look at a you spot an opportunity and you kind of then think, right, well, how do I make this happen? How can I adapt to this? It's creative thinking. And I think in a crisis or in a situation like this, that creative thinking is actually of real benefit because it means you can pivot your business quite quickly. You know, you can come up with innovative solutions for how you deliver what you do to your community and, and, and further afield. So I think that that mindset has been incredibly useful and I think in some ways it's given me confidence in my ability to think on my feet and it's given me confidence in our business model as well because I think that we've seen through the crisis that um, it's definitely accelerated our growth, our learning curve when it comes to our web businesses. It's actually only a year old and um, we, we obviously saw an uptick because the physical store was closed in our web business and we've been able to adapt what our customers need, you know, putting in click and collect, uh, dropping off local delivery, that kind of thing. And there's definitely things there that we'd like to carry forward into into what we do and make part of our our new normal operating procedure. There are some real features from the lockdown period that will end up becoming permanent parts of the way that we do business in that sense, aren't there? Because it's forced the hand of business to adapt, be flexible and really innovate in order to sort of keep things ticking over during this time. And so that's, of course, a, a real positive that's come out of what's been an ultimately challenging and very tragic time and um, of course it's the leader's role to make sure that to keep things ticking over in that sense everybody's sort of pulling in the uh, the same direction and they're in the right headspace and indeed mental health well-being have really come to the fore once again during this time considering that in many cases people within common workplaces have been isolated if they've had to adapt to working remotely some of course have had to continue working on sites under new safety procedures and amid all of the uncertainty and all all of the uh, the worry it can be quite difficult as a leader to provide the reassurance that people are looking for when the information out there either hasn't come through yet or it isn't always clear so from people managing from a mental health perspective how has it been from that sense um sort of go, going through the pandemic thus far it's been interesting i mean uh, my first my my staff my, my main staff members have been furloughed obviously um and it's been you know well, i check in with them regularly we've got a whatsapp group and it's just a question of uh, re- reaching out to them they reach out to me as i said we are we are more like a family we're all very close we live within a, a 
small area. So, you know, sort of just checking in with people saying, how are you doing? You know, sharing jokes, silly memes and all that kind of thing on, you know, WhatsApp's been really useful. We've had some yeah, nice Zoom catch-ups as well. So I think the social media side of things has been absolutely brilliant. I, I sort of think, think good, thank goodness, you know, that this has happened at a time when we do have internet access because it has helped people who perhaps are, are at home and haven't been able to go out. It's allowed us to stay in contact and reassure each other. Um, in terms of getting back to some kind of, I hesitate to say normal because I don't think we'll be going back to what we knew before. Um, I think that, you know, the language around where we go now as well is sort of bouncing back and recovery is perhaps I'd feel more comfortable saying, you know, a reinvention of where we're going because I think that we need to look at changing the way that we do things. You know, and we've we've um, obviously adapted the way that we work on the shop floor um, and put safety measures in place so that when I do bring my staff back they feel safe and comfortable in the environment I very much want them to stay within their comfort zone but also I need to reassure my customers that the environment and space is safe for them and I think you know by putting that message out on social media to our customers by asking people to sanitize their hands when they come into the store you know it's very difficult because we are child-centered and obviously it's a toy shop so everything in the business is aimed at children and it's very difficult to say either they can't come in or they can't touch the product. So I need to make sure that my customers are sanitizing their hands and that, that we've got proper um, protection measures in place. So they feel confident and I feel confident. My staff feel confident as well. And of course, um, from this quite challenging time, you already say that it's taught you a fair amount um, about, of course, um, the business, those around you. Um, but if you were to actually give some advice to somebody who was maybe about to start their first day in a leading role within a business, Claire, what advice would you give them based upon the experience that you've accumulated both during the pandemic and beforehand? I think I would say that, um, you know, you trust your instincts, um, you know, take all the advice you can get, but ultimately trust your instincts because, if it's your business and you have a vision for that business, ultimately, you know, you can communicate that to other people and hope that they're on the on the same track, but you are the one who defines it. So you need to have an open mind. You need to, you know, look around, read around, um, perhaps visit other businesses that do something similar to you, see what they do, see what you see what you like, see what you think you could change. But ultimately you have to believe in your own vision, um, and, and go with your gut feeling. I mean you're going to make mistakes along the way, but it's 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 making the mistake getting back up again, learning from it and moving forward as quickly as you can rather than sort of staying stuck with the mistakes. I think also one of the things we've learned is about, um, you know, cut your losses. If something isn't working, don't keep flogging it, you know, cut your losses and, and, and move on. It, it, and I think particularly in a time like this when um, it, it, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty, I think that one of the things that we've seen is customers have, come back to their smaller local businesses and that there's been that resurgence of, of um, loyalty and people have discovered some of them for the first time and sort of rediscovered the joy of being part of the community so I think it's you know make your make the area around your business you know that's your home base that's your community they're your customers you know you, you need to go out of your way to provide a good customer service in, to, to your local customers as well because they are your you know they're, they're your champions that make you or break you um, and I think that we very much try to 
push that through onto our online side of things as well to be personable, to be approachable. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's definitely to say it's about it's about sticking sticking to your vision, um, um, making mistakes and learning from them quickly, and, and moving forward. Um, yeah. And talking about your vision, Claire, just before we do wrap things up on the programme, what's next for you and for Wigwam Toys over the next 12 to 18 months as we move through the COVID-19 situation and embrace the challenges of the new normal? So I think for us, um, it, it's a, it's a, we'd always plan to move forward with the website and to try and grow the website. Um, and I think that what, what this uh, pandemic has shown us is that we need to scale that up um, because if we did go through, um, you know, an, another lockdown, I, I think even if we didn't, people have perhaps moved away from some of the more traditional shopping methods that are physically coming into a store. Um, we need to make sure that we are prepared for Christmas, particularly. Um, you know, if we were to have a second wave, I think that obviously people are going to be shopping online. We need to be able to scale up what we do quite quickly. So for me, it's going to be about putting my efforts into marketing, into developing what we do on the online side of things, about driving traffic to the website. But it'll also be about looking at how we do that physically here in the store. We've got a relatively small stock room, so there's a possibility of um, you know building a, a little garden room or something so that we can move the online side of things out of our physical stock room. So we are a small business. We are a family-run business. You know, my, my kids have been helping me through all of this as well. They've been packing parcels in the living room and sending them out, which has been you know actually you know as I said, there's been some real positives from from this. Um, but I think our focus has to be you know it's always been on good customers. And it's our loyalty to our local customers, physically in store. But I think the future for us um, will have to be putting our energy into the online business as well and promoting and pushing that forward as well as maintaining the physical store. If we're going to be robust enough to survive a, a second wave or, or if something like this were to happen again in the future. Mm, some real plans on the uh, horizon then uh, for sure uh, Claire and uh, you know I think given the uncertainty of the fact that there may well be a second wave and um, sort of the trajectory of not just the virus but also the economic recovery I think it would be fantastic given how informative it's been having you join us today just to catch up in future and have you back on the program just to see exactly what's changed over the uh, the months between and also catch up on just how things at the business are getting on behind the scenes and from that point of view as well. That would be lovely yep I look forward to it. I'd look forward to that as well, Claire. It's been a real pleasure having you uh, join us today for sure. And until we do speak again in the future, which I'm sure we will do, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on because it's fair to say we're still not quite out of the woods with COVID-19 yet and we still don't know which way it's quite going to go. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you today. That was Claire Letton speaking, director and owner of Wigwam Toys in Brighton and Hove. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Fields, the chief executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, the trade body for firms who provide such services for individuals and families. I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan radished the opportunity to speak with Liz. And all of that is coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago and of course 
um, um, APFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the, uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA's been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to... Um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe, Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think there, there 
the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also mm. quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or, you know, that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in in in, in our um, in our country. Without a doubt, Liz, because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, the system. But ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz. Yes, but I think you're right. We probably <laughs> shouldn't. Um now, looking at a couple of other points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seems as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole <laughs> here. At least, is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think. I think that that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know, thirty first of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know, 
the, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in Europe, in Europe, England or U- the UK rather and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of, uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same two, piece, you know. <laughs> famous fellows, aren't they? Indeed. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. Absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the SCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I th- I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate. Um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays. But the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be 
protecting. The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine, well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, And that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper, uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe, FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process. And we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I, I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. But if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might want to want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could, um, what what would be your number one priority? If we if we were to if I were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, what regulatory reform, you mean? Um, I think, oh, goodness me, the one thing. um, It is a bit of a mean question. It is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Um, I I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter, um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to, to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them. And what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now I'm conscious of the time here. This is already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a a little step back and uh, and look at. Um, uh, the operations of PIMFOR again, it's what PIMFOR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with, with the departments and the organisations that you do have? No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know the values that we have as an organisation. We we are a small organisation, uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So, relationship building. Um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we, we 
we have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this, but because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. They, you know, they they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter. Um, and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision, mm-hmm. because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know, we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it. Um and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just um kind of is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things. Promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well-being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future regulation, future supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year. Uh, it, it has not been in a while that will determine the future of all of those things and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks um, but it's been <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things Thank you, I would love to do that Liz, Thank you very much Thank you This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Chaloner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.